0: What's up, everybody? It is Monday, November 1st, 2021, and this is your Chapo Trap House. Uh, it is a another classic, tight, and disciplined Will-less episode. Will is uh, returning to his ancestral homelands in, uh, in Western Mass. The islands. <laughs> Will is
1: reuniting with his brother, the other island boy. <laughs> 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 uh, Taking off that ridiculous wig he wears. <laughs> Let to reveal his real his, his hair beautiful, yeah blonde
0: dreadlock nugs
1: every year he has to sing the island boy song with his brother or he'll die <laughs> every state has an island boy set of twins <laughs> <laughs> and that's like like midsummer is real the religion from midsummer is real but it's centered on island boys yeah it's not centered on like a woman who cries a lot that's ridiculous like, what the fuck are you talking about? No, they, like, they don't know. The, the Island Boys don't
2: have the role of the crying lady. They have the role of the inbred kid whose finger paints are their holy texts.
1: Okay, I'm right. going to be honest with you. I've, I've not seen the movie. Okay. Uh, I just <laughs> like, saw a lot of pictures of the woman crying. And that I was really, like, oh, she's really like their god. all
2: in on this chick crying <laughs> to sell that movie. It was wild.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, everyone, but because like everyone in the world is like, oh, what's my favorite thing about uh, being with my girlfriend when she talks about her job? Yeah, it's great. (laughs) What if there was a movie about that? What if there was a religion where that was the main thing? Where boyfriends got
2: sacrificed for not asking, how was your day? And meeting? Yeah.
1: If communion is you go up to the girlfriend priest and you're like, how was your day? Is like, Janice still a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they don't like if the president's a bad boyfriend, they're like he shouldn't have communion. Denying communion to the bad boyfriend president. <laughs> if I was president, I'd be like Joe Biden. Where there'd be like all the girlfriend bishops are like he's like the he's like never remembered a girlfriend's birthday. He's like terrible. Yeah, he's like doesn't say, think it should be.
2: But he doesn't remember anything else either. Come on.
0: <laughs> well, I don't remember anyone's birthday.
1: It's like not important to me.
0: <laughs> well, uh, before we get too far into uh Island Boy Communion birthday magic, uh let's uh finish introducing the episode. We have here uh to for to make up for the lack of will, we have, of course, it's Danny Bessner, one of our favorite friends to have on the show. Welcome back to the show, Danny.
3: Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate always being back. And do you consider yourself an island boy? I am an island boy. Uh long island, but nevertheless an island. That's an island yeah. that counts.
0: No, that yeah, you yeah, you could
1: I mean, I could see you reaching the rank of Island Boy. Oh, like well, that really, really means a lot.
3: Thanks, Felix. I know you wouldn't yeah. just say that.
1: Well, I mean, I do have—I have a brother who, like, we're not twins, but we do like look alike. We were at the Trueno show, and it was really funny seeing our stupid, stupid, idiot fans like not figure, just be like, "Oh, are there two of them?" Because <laughs> it's a dark room. See <laughs> so a double you know, here. Well, Felix looks like slightly better than me. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, we could be Island Boys if we wanted. We look alike enough. That's true. You just need the Marge Simpson hair. Yeah. And that's really just patience. Yeah. If you want to patience grow Patience like and,
2: and the same unwillingness to take a bath as a
0: golden retriever. <laughs> I think they look like, I don't think they look like dirty. I think they look cool. They're, they've yeah. certainly got more dedication to an aesthetic than uh, I will ever have. And for that, I, I applaud them. Yeah. Uh, but then there is some other business that I need to address at the top of this episode, which is, boys, we are going back on the road. We're doing some live shows again. Uh, I'm very excited to announce this this December. Uh, we are doing the our Back in the New York Groove tour of Buffalo, New York, and New York City, baby, that's best it. city in the world. And Anywhere number else? One. That's it. Those are the two cities. Fuck off. The middle chunk, the over uh, District, get out of here. Oneida, get the fuck out of here. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm calling this uh, the, the Erie Canal Terminus Points yes. tour. <laughs> the
1: DeWitt-Clinton tour. <laughs> the de- <laughs> if you're from one of those bullshit-ass Westchester towns that's called, like, Hungle Lake, (laughs) where the average income is $750,000 a year. Especially, fuck you, even though you're uh, statistically 80% chance of subscribing. Fuck you.
2: And also a leisurely Metro North trip into the city if they wanted to see it.
0: (laughs) Yes. Uh, So Wednesday, December 8th, we will be appearing live at Buffalo, New York at Asbury Hall. And then the following Thursday, December 16th, we will be back here in Brooklyn for our first New York-based show in God, like three and a half Uh years something like that at warsaw up in greenpoint that'll be a very fun show the 95 bulls will be playing with us there will be a little live music if you didn't catch them during frequency uh 95 bulls fucking rip and i'm very excited for them to be playing with us that show is going to be a lot Uh, of fun for people
2: not from ohio uh also known as the 95 bulls bulls Bulls.
0: listen to you Bulls.
1: bulls adorable damn warsaw warsaw is sick looking I didn't look it's it up. Great.
2: Before. I don't know. I, I, we look just cool. gotta pray that uh, no light bulbs go out because I don't know if there's
1: uh, <laughs> enough hands on deck to take care of it. I mean, the irony—the irony of us playing there—is not lost on <laughs> me. Believe you me. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, our walkout is a little uh, slower there because they do need to have an on-site staff of 300 in case, uh, you know, any any uh, stage lights go out.
1: We are really going to have to, like, work out our road. We don't have a complicated rider, but it's like when we say Coke Zero, there's just going to be nothing in the refrigerator. And they said, you said zero Cokes. <laughs> like working with Amelia Bedelia <laughs> uh,
0: so that those dates again and these will be in the show notes and eventually on some kind of website though I am still trying to uh, wrangle our website back into working proper order but I will do what we can to get these show links or links out to get tickets that's Wednesday December 8th in Buffalo New York at Asbury Hall and Thursday December 16th Brooklyn New York hey. at Warsaw uh, we will continue to be walking here for the first time since like 2018 very excited. Anyway. So the second part of the show is going to be talking with Danny and Matt because they have a new project uh, coming up called Hinge Points, which is a mini-series that we are going to be hosting on Chapo Trappa. So we're going to talk about that in the uh, back half of the show. But, Matt, you've basically programmed the top half here. Uh, What's going on with this Trump thing? Okay,
2: this just dropped today. Uh, uh, Our beautiful boy was on an interview with somebody I've never heard of, some right-wing... radio slug named Ari Hoffman, and he decided to complain about how uh, the Zionist-occupied government just isn't as uh, Zionistly occupied as it used to be, <laughs> and that's a real shame. Uh, should we yeah, play the crop well, that shit?
1: Well, you know, the biggest uh,
2: change I've seen in Congress is Israel literally owned Congress. You understand that, <laughs> 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and it was so powerful. It was so powerful, and today it's almost the opposite. Uh, you have between AOC and Omar and these people that hate Israel. They hate it with a passion. They're controlling Congress, and Israel is not a force in Congress anymore. I mean, it's just amazing. I've never seen such a change. And we're not talking about over a very long period of time, but I think you know exactly what what I'm saying. They had such
1: power. Israel had such power, and rightfully, (laughs) over Congress, and now it doesn't.
0: It's incredible, actually. I, so he's saying it's a bad thing. I love thing, that, li- that. Yeah, that it's they literally no it, it. just
2: yeah. one fucking adverb between that and uh, that, like unacceptable anti-Semitism. Is is him just adding? Yeah. The, good, they should be in charge of Congress. <laughs> and the thing is, that yeah. is the uh, that is the mindset of everybody who yells about anti-Semitism. Is that the basic premises of it
3: are correct? It's just that it's good, and you should like it that Israel's in charge of Congress. And Trump is just parroting all of the people that he's surrounded with, sort of the the over 65 class of New York City is clearly very uh, pro-Israel and actually thinks it's a good thing. So it's interesting because he's just, you know, again, there's no subtext. It's just all text with Trump. And he's just saying what they what what they believe and what they've been telling him for years and years and years.
1: Well, that's the difference between right wing Zionism and liberal Zionism. Right wing Zionism is going like, no, we did or we still kind of do control Congress and Will like just get you drummed out if you even question the orthodoxy. Not even, not even like something like stop recognizing Israel or cut off military aid. Just like don't give them every single dollar they ask for. Uh, we'll try to end your career, but that's good. And then liberal Zionism is doing that, but pretending it's not right, happening. yeah, and crying when people say that that's what's happening. <laughs> it is very and no. but you're but but always always closing with but I'm against the of occupation. Course. It's so right. funny though that any like real
2: anti-semitic like based reactionaries ever trust ever really put faith in this guy because they they just fundamentally didn't get that he doesn't care about any of your bullshit like he does not care about any issues any principles when he sees a, 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 the influence of Israel uh, in uh, congress he's like yeah they're good to, they're good to business people they make good deals why shouldn't they be in charge you are gonna let the Palestinians be in charge? They could. They make terrible deals.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's. It's like his position is that he read the Mearsheimer and Walt essay and was like, these two guys are amazing. Yeah. <laughs> these. Yeah, guys, what's I love the them. problem? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I. Uh, yeah, no. He's. I mean, you can't get him on any of the big like online right wing guy issues like Zionism. And you can't even get them on like the smaller ones yeah. like brutalism. Yeah, exactly. Or like or like buildings look buildings look bad now. What do yeah, you think these hideous. buildings look like?
2: It really does <laughs> remind me of how the the Nazis when they were allied with the Japanese sent the Protocols of the Elders of Zion to leaders of the Japanese government to to let them know what what they were dealing with in the in the Jews and they read it and they were like we gotta get these people over here.
3: Yeah, they thought it was impressive, right? If I recall correctly. They're like, whoa. Yeah, it's like, yeah. damn, these guys know how to
2: make yeah, deals. Yeah. We gotta get them in here to help us make deals
1: with these gaijin. <laughs> yeah, they were like, they studied they studied really hard. Now they can like buy all these kids. These guys are all because there's just like no cultural right. contact with Jews yeah. in that culture. That's like yeah. I mean, the subtext of that is like is like They didn't, like, no Japanese guy knew, like, an annoying Jewish guy ever. So just reading that, like, all, like, every anti-Semitic conspiracy theory on paper, you just imagine, like, the coolest, smartest man ever.
2: Exactly, yeah. And not, like, like, a guy... This guy's gonna be a a pimp. He's gonna show up and just make money appear out of nowhere while being suave about it.
1: Whereas, like, a German guy who's, like, already predisposed to be anti-Semitic, like, believes most of that shit, meets, like he has a higher likelihood pre Holocaust of meeting like a Jewish guy who's annoying or like whatever. And you know, he's like, like he meets a guy who has allergies and he's like, Oh my God. And, (laughs) and he like, and he made it. So he lost world war one. I'm so fucking mad.
3: Yeah. It's kind of funny that he used the word owned. Like it seems like even he would be kind of aware of that one. That's just classic Trump. Look, People own things. That's that's the business. Yeah, he's that's how in, he views he's, things. He's yeah.
2: owning pe- things and then trading them with other people's own things. And yeah, it's his <laughs> government's world view. the same thing. Yeah, like, it's his. Totally- and he and the reason people liked him at first is because he said that kind of stuff. But the implication that a lot of people heard, because it seemed like he was talking to them, was that he was going to let them in on the scam. And yeah. so they're like, yeah, he's he's showing that this is all bullshit, but he's going to use
1: that knowledge to help me. Right. I just like the whole Trump foreign policy thing is interesting to me because it's like more like guys who are trying to make more of like the online alt right thing a consistent ideology, which was always a fool's errand. Pretty quickly, we're like, okay, this guy's letting neocons run the show. But mm-hmm. for the people who more slowly got disillusioned or still held on to the Obama bot Ford chess thing, like, what did they, what is the rationale? Okay, it's cool that he goes George W. Bush, like he fucked up. 9 11 happened. Okay, what do you think when he hires everyone who helped allow yeah. 9/11 to happen or fucked up in his opinion?
2: I'll tell you right now, we could do 9/11 even better.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is <laughs> more
2: effectively. I'll tell you, we're not going to have a plane crash in the middle of nowhere. I'll I'll tell you that right now. If we wanna, only got three of more the four planes in capital, we're going to hit the capital, okay, folks? Well, it was
1: uh, like the, the early ration the early thing they came up with when they he would hire like Bolton and then all these like you know, these people who are just regular neocon, neoliberal foreign policy consensus people from before was like, oh, they're in the Jared and Ivanka faction. Like, they were hired by Jared. And it's like, Okay, well, this guy's still, like, just led his ultra-Zionist son-in-law, like, yeah. staff 80% of his administration. <laughs> that's how that much he
2: gave him? a shit about any of this stuff. Yeah, he didn't. I think he put that's, his fucking son-in-law in charge. Th-
3: I think that's the big story of the Trump administration. I think, like, we don't even know what the hell was going on on the ground on all these bases around the world. I think, like— it, it, the, the whole system was just sort of functioning without a head and who fucking knows what was going on where US troops are stationed where Trump didn't even know where, uh, where they're <laughs> stationed and then people tried to delude themselves at the beginning when he appointed Mattis and when he appointed HR uh, McMaster that you know he's going to let the professionals run the show but by the end of the administration it was just all the neo, the typical neocon um, psychopaths that we that we know and love and this just shows he, he didn't give a shit about any of it and then frankly no one really gives a shit about foreign policy as a whole anyway so he he could essentially have done what he wanted the entire time, but he didn't care enough to do anything.
0: Yeah. How many times in the four years he was president do you think Trump said to an aide something along the lines of, we've got guys there? Yeah. <laughs> Why the hell do we got guys yeah. there? Why are
2: there people in Mali? What the, What is this? <laughs> like yeah, then, He probably and, didn't know that we had guys in Mali until a reporter asked him about the dude that they left there to get eaten yeah. by vultures.
3: No way. He had no idea. I bet my life on it.
1: No. Yeah. I, I mean, the thing is now, too, like, I think there's, like, it's stupid to call it now because, like, who knows what can happen a few years from now. But I'd say there's, like, at least, like, a 15% chance that he could be president again, right? Well,
3: ho- oh, absolutely. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah I'd say like yeah. at, yeah. at the
1: very least, like, being very conservative. But it's like he's never, he'll never change his stance on Israel because the, they've done the most important thing, which is be nice to him. Yep. Mm-hmm. They would That's have to be mean to him.
2: And they'll never, they they have enough message discipline to know to not be mean to him. They know that they can be mean to Democrats and Democrats will essentially say no hard feelings. I mean, look at what just happened. They had an almost unprecedented situation with the elected government of Israel coming down on one side in an American presidential election. (laughs) And then Biden gets in there. and He's like, no hard feelings. You want to keep the embassy in Jerusalem? Go for it. No problem. You want want us to not uh, reinstate the – Iran deal, absolutely. We're gonna we're going to t- say uh, make up a bunch of bullshit to uh, fail to actually act on that. Just like you want. That's why we was you want so us weird. To restock
1: the missiles in the Iron Dome. Yeah, <laughs> like literally pay for us to reload. Which them. is the
2: hilarious, of course. Like the funniest thing of what he says is when he goes uh, and they don't have it anymore. AOC, this is their <laughs> charge, and that's literally because he saw people mad about them on Fox News. And decide that that means that they were actually doing something, which is how politics works on the brains of like actual partisan invested people in this country is they watch like the pathetic shadow play of fake arguments and uh, unenforced demands and then decide that like just the fact that it's happening and that somebody that they like is mad about it means that something fundamentally is moving somewhere
1: he's the only guy in the world who saw the tax the rich dress and was like oh the, the taxes on the rich went up." yeah
2: exactly
1: <laughs> <laughs> he's the only guy that worked on yeah it's it. like that's
2: what they do now that they, they they announced the laws on the pa on the dresses and by the way it looked <laughs> terrible honey <laughs>
3: yeah. He would actually be a good met gala correspondent. Someone had vision. They should That was, his attack, vision, that was should when hire he was him.
2: destined in in like the best universe that exists. In a hinge point. Where all of us we should a hinge, hinge point, point world. On that. Yeah. Where we get to be like the best versions of ourselves possible. Like the best version of Trump is still an awful awful person. Of course. Yeah the, yeah. the Trump who was like awfulness is least consequential and harmful to others is when he gets to be a bitchy New York fashion and gossip monger. Yeah, and he that, loves uh, it too. the best Trump we could have gotten. Still awful,
0: but in completely harmless. Uh, VH1 should have given him a nightly show in like 2007, and that everyone would be better off for that. Okay, so you guys mentioned a few a few times offhandedly, like the failed and flailing attempts to like build some kind of ideological national conservatism off of Trump, and why it doesn't make any sense. I have two clips pulled up from two of these types of guys that I think are very telling about this that I wanted to play you guys. Uh, And I think that the main thing I want to get out of these is uh, boy is listening to these two guys like putting a drill into your temple. Uh, This is uh, Josh Hallway at some kind of national conservatism conference uh, talking about being a man. We'd be surprised that after years of being told that they are the problem, that their manhood
2: is the problem, more and more men are withdrawing into the enclave of idleness and pornography and video games. I found the comment
0: by one young man to a Wall Street Journal reporter particularly evocative and particularly heartbreaking.
2: He said, I'm sort of waiting for a light to come on so I can figure out what to do next.
1: This is the first time in history that there have been neets.
2: That is <laughs> yes. bodies and spaces talk. Like mm-hmm. It's amazing how people who have spent years fixating on every... A filigree of neoliberal PMC uh, mystification around race and gender are incapable of seeing it if it's about a white guy. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, that that's why he's Elizabeth Warren. Yes.
1: For the whole way is Elizabeth <laughs> Warren for the
2: right. Yeah, uncharismatic dork standing for a completely online opinion held exclusively among frantically neurotic office-bound dorks who make up a fraction of the fucking electorate.
1: This is the equivalent of when Warren said she would let a trans child. Yes, secretary. Of I would let like this is. I would let a canceled person. comedian pick the secretary of labor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it, it, so like there is a problem about like discarded yes! and like bad feeling young men, but the it's not like his. So according to him, it's that like the same idea as when liberals say like a comedy special or something is yep. killing people. It's because they saw a post by like at shut up Jenny uh, to f- following 257.6 K followers since 2012 post <laughs> like um, <laughs> something about her husband not finding the clit. He saw a Jenny Johnson yeah. high five tweet and was like, I give he saw, up. He saw a men are trash post and sorry. he's like, I'm finished. <laughs> I'm finished. <laughs> he saw a, a kid, a child. You think it's funny that a child saw dick is abundant and low value? <laughs> <laughs> and is now deciding to just jack off instead of get a job. Do you think that's it's cool? like
2: there was a conveyor, like we have a idea of male uh, uh, identity and values that was premised on a world where if you were a guy, you could get a job doing something. And now you can't. Now you can't. You have to be part of a, a new economy that values more female-associated uh, like norms and traits and values and stuff like we, we feminine we have feminized the economy but the thing that did it was not posts or or episodes of <laughs> Cagney and Lacey it was fucking deindustrialization <laughs> and all these guys it, it, all these guys if they're leading with the the bad posts made white boys feel bad then they are by definition doing the same mystification of class
3: uh, and material politics that PMC libs do no, it's absolutely. And it's coming out of this sort of longstanding conservative critique of culture, which really took off in the 1970s, which is precisely when neoliberalism took exactly. off. That's where they locate history. Uh, whether they're talking about, you know, black American families or this shit, they're always talking about culture because they're, they're also doomed. They're also part of the system and there's nowhere um, for them to go. And it's kind of interesting. He's essentially adopting the position of General Secretary Xi with uh, regards <laughs> to video games and things like that. You know, it's the same shit. Uh, all, it's all attacking all around the world We're all dealing with the same crisis to
2: avoid uh, symptoms, uh not addressing causes. causal focuses that are out of political control and that's what nobody from g right. to Precisely. hallway to anybody can admit which is that our right. system as constructed cannot change in a fundamental enough way to affect this kind of stuff these the general trend of culture the and all the things you're horrified by the engine, the 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 uh the wheel has been lashed to the mast it's not moving we would have to Break up our political structure and reorganize it fundamentally to actually address this stuff. Uh, no one can say that, not even G. For fuck's sake, I, I, and it,
1: at least G has the power to make it so. Like, yeah, you can't play games. If that is like, true.
2: Games. At least that's a thing they, you can they, do they, instead they, of yeah. just complain about it and promise that right. when I'm president, the kids
1: are going to play less video games. If if hallway. <laughs> somehow got elected and like had a working majority of like let's say 60 national conservative senators or just senators who will go along with him his bill and if he was really pushed to like make a law based on this it would be like oh well we can't really like tell companies what to do like that's out but what we can do and we can't like reorient the economy we can't make it so that every job you know, isn't like service or like a white collar job for a, a company that loses $700 million a day. What we can do is make it so that there are more axe throwing bars yep. <laughs> that right. the government subsidizes. Right. It, to, would, it would just be like bullshit. It would just be, it would be like Obamacare for
3: masculinity. Yeah. yeah some nonsense <laughs> thing. And this is why all of this like and drawing over politics, it's, it's in a real sense, anti-political. Yeah. Because it's making people feel like they're participating in something and they're just consumers. It's just yeah. like the rest of the American economy. They're just consuming nonsense. So it's not only like a-political, it's actually anti-political because it's engaging in that precise process right. that Matt is talking about, this mystification process that makes you feel like you're doing something, whether you're on the right or the left, when you're just doing absolutely fucking nothing but consuming uh, this nonsense. Oh, Wait a minute. Excuse me, though. The, the thing you're
2: forgetting about these national conservatives is, sure, they might make references to culture war stuff to bring in – uh, uh, an audience and to and to play the the, the smart game of, of triangulating towards the real felt opinions of Americans. Uh, but they also want to bring the jobs back, right. which, of course, <laughs> is nothing the Democrats haven't fucking said off and on. How many fucking presidents have vowed to get tough on offshoring? John Kerry Demo- yeah. said
1: he would bring <laughs> back manufacturing. Yeah. John fucking Kerry. Everyone in the 2004 Democratic primary said it. From fucking Wesley Clark to John Edwards, yep. and Obama talked about how we're gonna we're gonna get tough on uh, companies that uh, get
2: uh, send jobs overseas. Never happens. Can't happen. If it did happen, it would be some fig leaf bullshit to give an illusion of progress. It it, it is it is more pap for the rubes, and it is astounding uh, that anybody accepts this stuff. And the fact is, it's you accept it if you need to believe. If you need to believe, this matters. If you need to believe that there's real uh, stakes in national politics, you have to convince yourself that there's some good side here. And if you squint hard enough, you'll find it and you can support it somehow with your attention and your posts and your just will for them to, to succeed. It will matter somehow.
3: And this is why we might actually see something like a UBI, because I I agree it's unlikely <laughs> to say the least that manufacturing jobs are going to come back. But this global order of which we sit atop absolutely relies on American consumption. Oh yeah. So if we don't that's consume not, that here, anymore. that's built in. Yeah. So what the fuck are they going to do? They're going to have to start paying people to, to to buy shit. Yeah. So I think that's why you might actually this is this is why uh, Grimes. I'm sure you guys saw this. Uh, yeah, we her talked, about talked about Video game UBI. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So UBI. That's honestly more she's plausible. Fucking. Eons ahead. This is the thing. If you
2: assume that we maintain our constitutional order, like obviously we could and should get something else, you know, that uh, can affect real change and fundamentally alter our economic structures, and maybe that'll happen. But if it doesn't, the most likely scenario for any sort of redistribution is, yeah, some Bitcoin uh, Bitcoin mining uh, UBI, because that you can imagine actually like passing through the baffles of like market preference in the system to like become actual policy. Nothing more interventionist can me- can me- be made, can happen. Like we are watching in Washington the most stark example of the fundamental dysfunction at the level of expressing any ideological preference through legislation you can't do it
3: yeah mm. they're not even trying to resolve the crisis which is different than the depression like people tried to do shit now yeah. they're just sort of running and the, they're running they away <laughs>
2: yeah it cannot be right done. they can't can the algorithm has become
3: conscious right
2: yeah. they can only distract from it and so somebody's gonna be like yeah we're, we're gonna step in and pay kids to to mine uh bitcoins by uh slaying orcs and then we'll do it, and that will stave off the collapse for the n- next you know, generation, which is all that can be planned for now is emergency adaptation to declining uh, and deteriorating
3: conditions. Yeah, because they're and not able to address that the structure of capitalism. They're unwilling or unable to address it.
1: The other – the thing that we'll keep making more of, the more that like the, the standard of what makes someone a human and especially like what makes someone a man for these guys – the further that slides, the more time, the more that it goes from 12 hours a day sitting down to 16 hours a day to 18 hours a day to you are just, you're in like a sort of diagonal craftmatic bed for gamers <laughs> yes. that minds get bitcoins. The more that slides, the more that that's just everyone, that's everyone and then Uber drivers or, or Uber slave Eats class. drivers from this invisible slave class where it's so, that's literally the only two things. Yeah. It's just Salvadorians on permanent guest visas and then those guys, the more that like it's Wally, but yeah, the robots are humans. It's Wally, but the robots are humans and the humans are like, arguing about like, oh yeah, you, uh, you fucking PMCs could never, could never stand like doing your Bitcoin <laughs> or gaming at a 45 degree angle. <laughs> You've been yeah. at a 120 degree <laughs> angle your entire life. Yeah. You know, we we call you softbacks. Yeah. <laughs> It'll just be all like increasingly bullshit stupid cultural things. Yeah, it's like for uh, life, or, like what bur- makes there- <laughs> Yeah,
2: it's like plankton burgers. Uh, I'm sorry, cuck. I only eat 100% cocktail uh, cockroach meat burgers, okay?
1: yeah and they'll they'll post pictures of like gamers from now who had dual monitors set up sitting upright and vaping instead of just taking like and taking taking their government administered nicotine pellets and be like this is when this is real man we need to like go back to this this guy had sex one time every three point seven years unlike our once every seven year breeding period <laughs> like the vulcans <laughs> yeah this this guy was a real play this was before me too too <laughs> 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 it'll, it'll just, yeah it'll just give this standard we'll keep going down until we revert to amoebas and then there's like you i guess you can't really just you if you're all just batteries in the matrix it's like there you can't really know who's based or who's not but we'll find a way we'll figure it that's, out. that's that's the only thing we distinguishing can distinguishing
2: the based uh from the cringe is really all we have yeah but, but
1: well, then there that, will be people there will be people who are in there like permanent lying down right like mining stations who are like <laughs> I'm actually, um, uh, I'm unionizing as a Bitcoin. <laughs> <monitor>. <laughs> and they're, they're uni- like, they did so far gone. Like no one knows what a union is anymore. Yeah. Like, not that they really know now, but like, especially like 40 years from now. And it's like, um, we, you, you have to like, you have to give us one more nicotine pellet. Yeah. While well,
2: an app slave <laughs> is like holding their putting chalice up to their face and they're posting
0: this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that that turned into a much more productive discussion because I mainly <laughs> wanted to bring uh bring up Josh Hallway to say uh, zero swag. Oh,
2: absolutely
1: uh, zero. And I was no, just going. I, Chris, say? I I want it so bad to be him versus Kamala because oh, literally 30, a 30, to the bottom of swag a hollowed yeah. out
2: the hollowed out uh, uh husk of uh like the most cynical id paul for both parties
1: yeah for both yeah yeah it's perfect uh, Thirty thousand people vote in the entire election. <laughs> yep <laughs> i want that i want the most demoralizing election of all time like they're trying so hard they're getting like the island they bring xxx tentacion back to life to tell people to vote <laughs> because they need like some legitimacy and just no Everyone's like, "What? N- no, I don't want this." It, like, it comes <laughs> down one to one it. subdivision in Northern Virginia, yeah. <laughs> and then they're like, "They're like, fine, I-, I, guess I like the national based act." Yeah, <laughs> and then you have to read all these articles that are like. Why everyone likes Josh Hallway, even though like the least amount of people ever voted. <laughs> why he swept the nation? Uh,
0: they they literally do that movie swing vote, but it's only because one person only showed up to vote. <laughs> um, but I was on Donald Trump's website looking up uh, his statements, be, trying to find a good one to read in comparison to to Josh Hallway's like mealy mouth thing. And the thing that I really want to bring up is, you see the the statements clipped and posted to Twitter. But do you do you guys realize that John, Donald Trump is using his website to basically just tweet? Yeah, yeah. Like he's doing long form tweets. He's basically pasted. Yeah. no, they're not even long form. I'm just. Oh, I just okay. Couldn't.
2: I didn't know he was doing regular p- tweets too. Damn, he's keeping the discipline. Respect. Yes,
0: I'm on a, like from two days ago. You click on, a, you go to the the news site, you find the links, you click on a link, and it takes you to a whole dedicated page that just says in all caps inflation nation exclamation point <laughs> and that's the whole post <laughs> uh and i just thought that was funny well anyway uh do you want to talk yes. about this Lincoln so, project thing or should we go oh, out? Yeah, okay. now yeah we've
2: got uh this republican party that's uh looks like they're gonna do pretty well in the near term because uh they're they've learned how they've figured out all the new ways to talk about cultural anxiety in a way to rile up their base they got their crt and all that but thankfully there's the Democratic Party who. Uh, by their own real admission, tacit or otherwise, have only one real strategy for gaining power, which is uh, lose power, have Republicans take power, and because they are a fringe party of maniacs at the grassroots uh, level, uh, have them govern in a way that is alienating to the majority of people, and then retake power after people get grossed out. Uh, And it worked like a charm. And in addition to beating Trump with the help of the disgust of the American comfortable suburbanites who watch television and uh, politics from an aesthetic remove and basically got sick of him, on his way out the door, he helped sully the halls of Congress by letting hooting rubes destroy the (laughs) escutcheon of American power. Uh, This is like supposed to be – you'd imagine this would be a gift. Oh, we can now – uh, really go nuts here because they've been discredited. Uh, and so now we've got the first real test of the, the, the two, uh, party coalitions here because the Virginia governorship is up always, uh, in odd years. And it is, uh, in between, uh, the election, the presidential election and the midterms, uh, and, uh, Terry McAuliffe, uh, the Clinton bag man and, a one-term governor uh of Virginia. They're all one-term governors because they only allow one term at a time, it is going back for a non-consecutive bite at the apple against this guy, Gary Otherkin. I don't remember.
1: Uh
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I believe I believe in a simple Virginia where if you feel like a tiger, you're a tiger. <laughs> and so this guy, uh this guy
2: <laughs> this guy Otherkin, he uh emerged from the uh nominating process having done enough to assuage the Trump base of the electorate that he is one of them without being too uh, crazy because this is Virginia after all, which at the national level is turning from a purple to a red state, or I'm sorry, from a purple to a blue state. And he can't really afford to alienate all those Northern Virginians who uh, had voted for uh, Biden. But he'd had some positive things to say about Trump and all that. So the uh, Democratic Party, unable to sell Terry McAuliffe, to anyone, because who would buy, decided to (laughs) run a campaign about how this guy is basically Trump. This guy is Trump's Mm -hmm. uh, Virginia uh, excretions. And somebody, uh, the Lincoln Project, claims that they did it, although they could be taking the the hit for somebody else, honestly, because it was such a monumentally terrible idea, paid a bunch of interns to dress up like unite the right uh, marchers with the tiki torches and the polo shirts, and stand in front of the otherkin campaign bus. Uh, <laughs> and of course, when this initially happened, a bunch of incredibly credulous, uh, hyper neurotic libs who are so Trump, who are the ones who really were traumatized by Trump's presidency, uh, in their own minds anyway, freaked out and took it for real, uh, which led to the Lincoln. <laughs> Uh, project coming forward and saying, yeah, that was us. Sorry. Uh, actually, no, they didn't say sorry. They said, <laughs> we will all what did they say They something like we will always stand up
0: to note the
2: similarities between
0: Trump and Youngkin uh, or whatever. Yeah, it was like political education. And this yeah. is Guardian article that I have pulled up. They their statement is we will continue to hold Glenn Youngkin accountable. Thank God. Good, yeah, good, good, good the, job. They literally good did job. a false
2: flag <laughs> to try to gin up some fucking yes. juice about an event. That is farther back now. What two years older than an even more large scale uh, event, the January sixth uh,
1: riot that has already been fucking forgotten. I mean, <laughs> you really see the difference between like Karl Rove and the guys yeah. who were working for him. It's like you really don't have. He was the carrying
2: defense. the team. He was you really he was like, you. He was Jordan on the
3: Wizards.
1: Yeah. No. Like <laughs> Steve. <laughs> Steve shit. List. Steve has zero rings. He he only has Mickey Mouse rings. He's a choker.
3: It's also interesting. Like, America is pretty bad at political propaganda, at least recently, because there's no actual political parties, so people don't get trained in these things. So everything they try to do comes across across as so ham-handed and shitty. It's like there's no... Space to do really fun political propaganda, which I think why Trump was so so refreshing and entertaining for so many people because it wasn't propaganda propaganda at all. He was just saying what he thought in such a charming way that I think that um, diverted people's attentions from what otherwise been uh, would have been a real message. Yeah. I, I do
0: also as I'm going through this article, you know, the way that um, that Youngkin is able to spin it, I think is also instructive. Is, is basically. Playing the one of the major cards the Republicans have, which is turning agreement on its head and being the, agree, the aggrieved party here, they'll do anything to win. He said, "Youngkin said, and he's doing anything to win." And he, so he's paying people to show up and act silly at our, you know, being, a, being able to say, "Look at how they treat us. Look at how unfair these." And Democrats I gotta
2: are. say, it's pretty unfair. That was not a thing to do. I mean, <laughs> the, the complaint from the right has been that all of these accusations of white supremacy and extremism among Republicans mm-hmm. are made up, are fake news. And this is literally yes. fake news.
1: Yeah, I, it's kind of the worst way you could have executed this. The literal word. This is kind of what you would do if you yeah. wanted young people to win. Yes.
2: But aren't the, aren't the Lincoln Project Republicans? They are. And, and honestly, yeah. guys like Gary Blumpkin are who they want because he's not a movement guy. He's a guy you could work with. So honestly, it wouldn't be above them to do. Uh, honestly, maybe it's too competent. For them to do like some real double-sided tapes, <laughs> yeah. yeah,
3: a false flag, yeah, a, yeah. D- a double false flag, because I, like yeah. they they don't
2: actually care of if, if uh, Grumpkin becomes governor. In fact, they probably <laughs> prefer him on a lot of issues, yeah, because well, I, like he is a regular Republican who kind of did the mi- bare minimum to appeal to the chuds.
1: Yeah, well, I think I've been following a lot of the Virginia race. I do think like Greg Blumpkin is interesting. <laughs> And his, his campaign is interesting to me because he like, I remember earlier this year when we were talking about CRT, like what they were doing in February, not very interesting. Like they, they had like, they would just post about like New York private schools. And it was like, okay, you're going to have to show me something. You're going to have to show <laughs> yeah. me something. Cause this is Joe was riding strong. It's like, this isn't it. But now, now that Joe's taking a little bit of the hit and they, they found their distance. They, they, they have a little bit of a fifth round comeback. Um, they found how to make CRT a sellable issue. And it is again, taking a cue from bodies and spaces shit where they're going instead like, Oh, isn't this ridiculous what they're doing at like the $120,000 New York private school. They're going, Oh, they're already doing CRT and white children are coming home, hating themselves. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yep.
2: You're "Mm -hmm. making my child feel unsafe uh, and feeling like they want to self-arm. It's, it's perfect. jujitsu. Yeah, uh, and and now it might very well get this guy to be the governor, which really is very instructive. You've got all these significant crises unfolding of uh, uh, the pandemic politics, which are very viscerally felt everywhere, really. But I guess less in a state like Virginia uh, is able to have this governor's race come down to one side trying to. Get people not thinking about their uninspiring candidate, but thinking about the prospect of their precious Cody's and uh, and Madison's feeling bad about themselves at school. Uh, and then the Democrats trying to uh, give everybody, trigger everybody's PTSD about the Trump years.
3: Uh, it's really interesting how they embrace safe spaces. You know, that whole yeah. no space, safe spaces <laughs> thing. It's just the right is always just so good at taking sort of the lib PMC tactic and turning it totally on its head and doing it better. It's because this will be exactly I mean, right
2: because absent material politics, right. you end up having to make your politics into some version of that, and uh, somebody has to initiate, and then somebody has to have the the uh, antithesis. Somebody has to uh, establish a thesis, and really, since Obama, the Democrats culturally have been establishing the thesis, right? Yeah, uh, and then the Democrat, the Republicans, they take a while to like figure it out, uh, and then you get this this phenomenon of. A grassroots swelling against ideas that they'd never heard of before that are all channeled by uh, actual money, which is like putting together the organizations to create talking points that get disseminated across the media – uh, and then all of a, and then they are given that and now they care about it.
3: The, and that's really uh, interesting because historians always talk about like the New Deal order giving way to the neoliberal order. And right now we're still in the sort of neoliberal material order, but the politics of culture have genuinely changed since Obama. So, so what you have is sort of that substrate of what's actually driving history totally unaffected, but the language by which one uses to describe it is totally, I think, driven by the the, the liberal side of the political spectrum. So the the order is the same but the superstructure is totally different which is unique in american history usually the material conditions have changed every you know 40 to 60 years but here it's only the culture that is totally transformed as opposed to the base
1: what what i think is very interesting about it is uh, the broadly like liberal side does have a structure that they can propagate ideas through that's how they that's like how you get like you know, someone someone, somewhere far away from any mass media market like reading White Fragility because that structure is like, okay, this is what we have to talk about for like a month. And they are able to get the right amount of people and the right people in the right places to care about like January 6th. Yeah. They will never use that structure for like, you know, pushing for the build back better agenda or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like they, that's not what it's for. But they like... Their equivalent on the Republican side. They have a sort of like a coordinated political messaging machine that goes through several layers in the way that the Democratic one doesn't. But it uses the form of, uh, of the liberal version, the cultural form of what they're doing. Yeah. And so they'll take, you know, from like they're do what they're doing now is like they're holding up the book from their tank they're holding up white fragility and going <laughs> i read your book you son of a bitch like yeah. using their political their lockstep political communications and media bodies the actually actually coordinated actually coherent goals using that with the liberal form and yeah. it, it it's i mean you know it does show that we still learn a lot from each other in this country. It's, it's like, true, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's and that's genuine bipartisanship.
2: <laughs> the difference, though, is that the that the over time the Republican version of this ends up being more uh, uh, effective as an actual uh, like yeah. electoral political power uh, mechanism because it's directed by actual like money like the, the crt the reason that that became a punchline and a term and a slogan for people to fixate on and go to their their town uh, school board meetings about and to run for congress uh talk shooting bottles shape like and all that <laughs> is because it was a propaganda it was a it was the result of a bunch of people paid by like the Koch brothers to sit down and do this stuff uh with the, the liberals the stuff that actually permit permeates is all just the res- the individual actions of cultural producers who are socially liberal and therefore on the side broadly of the Democrats and they do culture uh, and they just put it out there and then everyone else responds to it. But it's not in coordination with any uh, political project the way that the Republican one is the one that the way that it is. Like, the Republican project is like wired into activist communities. Right. And people who then like vote based on that stuff. The, the, the Democrat stuff is just a, all about the artists making themselves feel better about being rich and then the rest of us just absorbing it passively.
3: And it also with the – on the left, on the liberal side of the equation, you have that class of consultants – who use this to basically yes. sell shit, which is absolutely crucial and sort of run around uh, to these basically unwinnable races, but use this cultural language to basically enrich their coffers. And there is a professionalized right, but I don't think it's quite the same thing as what the Democrats have swirling no. around them.
2: Well, the ones, the They're, Democrat
3: ones
1: are just pure rent seekers. Like
2: right, they don't pure. offer
1: any value. Yeah.
3: The, I mean, that is
1: why I really hope there are books written about this in the future, why I think what happened last year with the George Floyd protest is so crucially important for understanding this. And one of the most cynical, awful things I've seen in the last decade in American politics is you had real anger about real things, both police brutality uh, conditions that predominantly black neighborhoods are in. People took that and took like genuine rage and critical mass of people. And were like, oh, these are new things we can plug into the liberal culture machine. These yeah. are new things that we can have the consultant say. This is okay. a new thing that we can use to, you know, raise money for Jamie Harrison on his way to losing to Lindsey Graham by 13 fucking <laughs> points. Right. And then the beauty part is is that
2: when you do all that, collect all that money, eat shit, which was always the point, who cares? You're just there to pick up a check. And then maybe your voters are a little pissed off at you, you can have some other guy show up and tell you, "Oh, uh, it's actually the fault of those activists for doing that activism." that made the Democrats have to take all these unpopular positions when the reality is it was all a cynical, uh, after it was all a cynical play after the events. Uh, and there's nothing they could have done about it anyway. Like there's no connection between these things. All you're doing is providing uh, an alibi for one group of people of why they should still give a shit about the institutional democratic party. And then for the other people who are all in on, uh, the connections to, you know, the fight for justice, you just scaremonger them that uh, the Democrats are the only thing standing between you and Republican rule, which will be worse on those things in every way. And they become
3: and the increasingly way, the way,
1: professionalized. The, the way that the media filtered that, to, like there are two layers to it, the way that the like, consultant class and the Democratic Party absorbed that and, and used that as a new uh, new part of their arsenal. But also the way that like liberal aligned media responded to all this turned off more people than like any protest ever could. when you just yeah. when you take this like legitimate rage and you turn it into like hey everyone this is really important we're like fraser is gonna do a land acknowledgement <laughs> hey guys we're doing a special fucking we're doing a special fucking episode of like gossip girl where like like we're taking two episodes that we think like we think we're anti-black out of rotation and you just take like stupid normal people who see that go oh wait was that what these protests were about yeah <laughs> oh i like hate it now <laughs> like, i don't care it, it's like it completely it didn't just like defang a lot of it it like actively harmed it it said yeah. it, what the liberal the liberal superstructure response to it like actively harmed it They actively brought so much of this shit. It actively said all of this backwards when it looked like we might be at a breaking point with a lot of these things.
3: And then as you get that sort of broad disillusionment, you get the increasing professionalization of the activist movements, which just separate them further from the, you know, the ordinary voter who's looking at them because then they get amalgamated into this corporate structure of the democratic party.
1: They don't want D Ray because he's so good. Like they didn't like look at him compared to the guys that the cops clandestinely killed in yeah. Ferguson and go, oh, well, this D Ray guy is more likable anyway. They'd like him precisely because he isn't more likable. To yeah. People, because it completely marginalizes this movement and, and like, because, like, a, a big enough percentage of people will be like, oh, like, fuck this guy. Well,
2: and also because the person who takes that spot willingly is a fucking husk. And that means that they are not going to be able to effectively communicate to people because they if at the level at like those grassroots level of activism, you don't have all the the bells and whistles and smoke and mirrors that uh, conventional politics affords to an empty suit. So you just have an an empty Patagonia vest rather.
0: (laughs) Well, this has been a very uh, high minded and thoughtful discussion. Good job, gentlemen. But we are. uh, Yeah. Well, how did we how did (laughs) this happen? (laughs) Oh,
2: Oh, very weird. Yeah, I blame Danny.
1: I'm sorry. You know, you guys know how I want to sign people to 360 deals and like control them with pills, but yeah, also yes. like help their careers and make both of us a lot of money.
0: Yeah. The most honorable uh, way to manage an artist.
1: Yeah. I want to be like the Birdman of new media.
0: <laughs> well, I have like I do have plans
1: for everyone, everyone I know, everyone I don't really know on how I could make them make more money in media but I have a fucking amazing thing for D-Ray who hasn't really been out there that much. Like you haven't seen a lot of D-Ray in a yeah, couple he years. he ate
2: shit in the, the Baltimore mayoral election, he has been off the grid.
1: Check this out. What if he did a thing where he's like, okay, hey guys, you re- may remember me. If you don't, I invented Black Lives Matter. With uh, <laughs> would be how it started. And he'd go, but there's like there's like a bigger injustice going on. It's in China.
3: <laughs> that's how, that's his comeback, yeah, yeah, get some of that new Cold War money, baby. Because a Taiwan guy, uh, yeah. Hong Kong too.
0: We're going to see a flood of that. I feel like you know I support your uh, quest to become the Tommy Mottola of new media <laughs> figures. Uh, but with the time we have left, let's transition to why we have Danny on today to talk about hinge points, and I will set up what exactly is going on here, which is uh, hinge points is a new series uh, done by Danny and Matt that we are going to be hosting uh, on Patreon starting. This Friday. Um, it's just going to be a, uh, a nice miniseries that uh, is going to go up for six straight weeks, starting on Friday. Go, uh, new episodes go up Friday afternoons. Uh, At no additional cost, and, yeah, I should say. No additional, no additional cost. Part, 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 of the, part of the package. We've been enjoying doing these series with Stitcher, and thank Blowback very much for opening that door for us, but I am happy to say it's coming home. Yep. Tears in our eyes. New series are, uh, are coming home to the Patreon. So that's the premise
3: here. Matt and Danny, what is Hinge points? Uh, well, I guess I'll start. Basically, I think this came out of conversations that you know Matt and I have been uh, Matt and I have been having for a while about the present condition uh, of the United States, the present condition of the world, and how it seems, is the way we often put it, that the algorithm has become conscious mm-hmm. and whether there were you know uh, other moments or, or where things could have either gone a bit differently or maybe things couldn't have gone a bit differently. And these uh, where we are today is overdetermined. So what we decided to do was basically um, start 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 essentially a conversation Conversation podcast where we look at um, particularly important uh, "quote unquote" hinge points in history where uh, things turned in a particular direction. And so what we really do is we zoom in on one particular moment and then zoom out to see the structures, the personalities, the events, and the processes that led history to go uh, in a particular direction. And sometimes we decide that you know what, it kind of seemed like things were going this way, uh, and nothing could have really uh, changed it. And other times we're like, you know what, maybe if if this event happened, if that guy's uh, brain had exploded, then things would have gone in a different direction. So what we're hoping to do here is both... um give a sense of the complexities of history, the contingencies of history, because ultimately I think uh, we, we both believe that one of the fundamental commandments of Marxism uh, generally and left-wing thought is to really understand history and understand your moment and moments that came before you to see what we could do uh, to change things. So it's definitely not a, a black pill by any stretch of the imagination, but it's exploring, you know, how we got to, to where we got and whether things could have gone a bit differently.
2: Yeah, I, it's essentially a, Uh, An autopsy for human civilization. Uh, (laughs) Like we just take Uh, the assumption that whatever you want to call this, it is a next stage of capitalist development in which uh, capitalism has essentially overridden the traditional prerogatives of like human agency. Now that's not permanent, but it is the current condition. And so with that as sort of the uh, wrap up, of what you might call like one attempt to create like a human project, a human a ri- a human civilizational project. We're trying to look back at it and say, well, all right, how did this end up here? Where were the places mm-hmm. where maybe if a contingent event that just a different combination of, uh, of causal elements could have changed, you see something, a possibilities open up that could put a trajectory uh, that, maintained human agency, I guess I would put it that, the broadest sense, as opposed to eventually see it in the late 90s and aughts closed off. Right. And
3: I think this is also comes from the fact that like we grew up in an era where contingency was just off the table. Um, and mm-hmm. I think we're trying to, I, at least I can speak for myself, I'm trying to deprogram that a little bit and sort of examine these moments where if we thought more strategically or, again, some random event happened, things could have gone differently. So I know that the first few eps that you're putting out
0: are going to talk about um, the German socialists in World War One era. You've got kind of two angles on them. Um, and just as an example of like what people can expect from this. Do uh, you guys want to talk about what brought you to uh, those moments and, and you know a little bit about what your, your discussion in those episodes are like, SPD and the vote for war and whatnot? Well, we b- both agree that, uh, that the early 20th
2: century, specifically the crisis of World War I, is really uh, the culminating crisis of m- modernity uh, and, uh, mm-hmm. and the emergence of uh, capitalism and the, the final abolition of feudal relations in Europe. Uh, and that, that as a result, a lot of uh, things open up in that moment. And uh, that is why you saw the Bolsheviks in Russia seize power when they did, because they saw this moment as crucial uh, and saw this as the chance for that working class that had been coming into awareness uh, over the past 70, 80 years to, to make its historical debut onto the world stage. Uh, and the socialist movement in Germany, the, the place where, People like Marx sort of theorized to be the most developed part of capitalism and therefore the place where revolution would, would uh, be carried out first uh, failed to create a permanent revolutionary situation. There was a, an early revolution that, that overthrew the Kaiser and instituted uh, bourgeois democracy, but there was no uh, secondary push uh, – there was a secondary push, rather, for a, uh, a socialist revolution that was – Uh, Defeated largely through the internal intervention of uh, big parts of the labor movement. Uh, And so we are looking at this moment to see where was the potential, the realistic potential, given the conditions Mm -hmm. that we uh, obtained for something else to have occurred.
3: Precisely. And I think those, you know, four or five years from 1914 to 1919, 1920 are really a lost moment in the history of of the international left, Um, which is, I I think if you had asked Marx, for example, in 1865, if the working classes of Europe would have annihilated themselves in a world-ending war, he would have said probably not, right? And so we're examining this particular uh, moment, these particular moments, um, at least in those first couple of episodes, and then later on with the Soviet episode to see whether that was overdetermined or whether things could have gone a different way. Because I think Matt and I agree to some real sense, we're all living in the aftermath of 1914, where, where the mm-hmm. workers didn't do what we would, have, we would have liked them to do. And we're exploring why that happened, the various contingencies and complexities that led that situation uh, to arise.
1: That is, I am really interested to see what you guys do with that, the general period of 1914 to about 1920, because that is... I mean, not just in Europe. I mean, there are so many pivotal things that happened in America that like permanently fucked us. Like there was a like fledgling parallel black economy. There was a chance there like that was the shot for like we were far, far enough away from like the robbed reconstruction where it was like, okay, we're finally like getting something together. Blacks were like black, black Americans were in the process of like being becoming Jews. They had the opportunity to do (laughs) what Jews did. And then it yeah. was just taken saw these from. the para- There was a national yeah, you project, had a parallel project it. of like a growing socialist
2: political movement, uh, in the form of the Socialist Party, which was gaining offices and legitimacy at the grassroots of of white America. And then this this early burgeoning of yeah a a, a black uh, uh, economic engine that could have created like a, a meaningful black uh, electoral and political machinery. Uh, and they're both at the same moment, basically the same summer,
3: nineteen nineteen, uh, uh, smothered. It's precisely Ooh. right, and there, it's not an excuse that like the Tulsa race massacre that has become famous since Watchmen happened in nineteen twenty one, because it's that that. L- Post World War One period, where all these alternative possibilities are closed off, you know, you have the first Red Scare in the United States. You have the the you know the 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 rise of the so called Second Ku Klux Klan throughout uh, throughout the country, and so I think uh, that moment is really critical. And I believe that three of our, our uh, initial episodes actually focus on it. Um, and we hope you know if people enjoy it, we could uh, do some you know deeper histories, go back oh, to yeah. Rome, mm-hmm. you know, the rise of Christianity, the Middle Ages, and so um, yeah, I hope
2: to do a whole Napoleon episode?
3: Oh, absolutely! We could do we could do three on Napoleon, just like the very you know the revolution, his rise, and then and then the wars. So uh, yeah, that's because I do, do
2: have a weird crank belief that if someone could have beaten the British before, like uh, before the <laughs> right. wet, the Council of Vienna, then something could have uh, been different. Because it really, it, capitalism <laughs> really is uh, an English disease in its foundation.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- especially the form that was globalized when uh, Britain and the United States made that, made that empire, uh, made that sort of Anglo-American empire that, that dominated the last 150 years of history. So yeah, that's the type of shit yeah. we're going to look at.
1: Not to go back to uh, the uh, late 1910s and the 1920s, but most importantly, like we've talked about some really important stuff here, that's when Germans in America lost their swag, it's true <laughs> that it is when they were like, well, okay, fine. we're just regular Americans. It's okay, true. Fine. It's when they
2: it's when they acceded to calling uh, sauerkraut Liberty Cabbage. It's when they mm-hmm. changed German uh, street names. Uh, and when they changed, like the pronunciation of things like uh, there's a town, there's a suburb of Milwaukee called New Berlin. And I bet you a million dollars that it was not pronounced that way in 1915.
1: They They decided, no, 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 it's Berlin. That is amazing. Like this, like one of the biggest immigrant groups ever, and you have this war that no American should ever have <laughs> yep. given a fuck about. Yep. And they're like, you have to give up your entire identity. And they're like, okay. Yep. Even though they were like
2: a lot of the, the spear spearpoint of that socialist uh, party and movement, uh, they were just they got they got buck broken is what happened. They
3: yeah. really did. I mean, and you think Sucks. about across the pond, the, the Mountbatten's become the Windsors, right? This is a, a global phenomenon. Oh, right, yeah. The, the, <laughs> the Germanification of the Anglo-American uh, world really happens in the teens.
1: Yep.
2: But like
3: Hitler, yeah,
1: Hitler, Hitler wasn't even like he wasn't even the guy. He wasn't even like a hotel for Germans. He was like he was a Nordicist. Yeah. He wasn't into like real German bullshit. No. He looked so uncomfortable in that one picture of him in lederhosen.
2: He looks he like he wants it. to
1: die. He looked like a cat in
2: a costume.
1: He did not know how to have
2: a good time uh, outdoors with a giant beer. That's how you know he's not German. Yeah. Fucker yeah. was
1: a vegetarian. Yeah. Come on.
0: Yeah. Come on, no, man. He was a
3: real bohemian.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Exactly. So last, yeah. So in the last few minutes of the show, uh, yeah, I think that's a great description. Obviously, you guys are going to get into a lot of, like, you know, pretty, pretty uh, deep and interesting stuff uh, about you know the early 20th century, middle 20th century. Uh, I've got some more recent ones that I want to throw at you, and maybe uh, you know get get some off the cuff what ifs uh, from you guys. Uh, and also, feel free to say that any of these are stupid questions because I just came up with them right before we started recording. All right, so here's the first one I was thinking of uh, because I've been noticing my man more and more popping off on Twitter. Uh, John Hinckley Jr. Uh, he's out there releasing his songs. He's getting into beefs with my beloved Devo, who, from what I understand, did pay him the royalties that he was due from the song they collaborated on in 1982. Uh, so stop yelling at Gerald Casale. Uh, but anyway, here's my question: What if Hinckley hadn't missed? Ooh, what if Reagan good gets- one. he hadn't
2: miss- he didn't miss? By the way, he shot him right in the chest. If he had used anything bigger than a 22, he would have yeah. got the job done. A 38 or nine yeah, millimeter and- would have done it. Of course, my favorite. My fantasy, it was uh, Deagle.
1: <laughs> oh my god! Oh, they're Reagan's. You never get to see those photos, then. <laughs> no, he's no. leaking. Yeah. He's fucking a guy that old. A fifty-cal round, a fucking exit wound the size of a basketball. Yeah, is left in him, you're never. <laughs> yeah, it's like that. a cartoon. You like Nancy's yeah. looking through the hole and waving at you. <laughs> It's like when Goldie Hawn gets shot and Death becomes her. Yes, exactly. That's <laughs> cannon movie.
2: <laughs> all right, so that's so, yeah. actually very interesting. Yeah. Because, so what if it's uh, George H. W. H. w. Bush would have obviously become president? And George H. W. Bush was uh, the he was essentially the vestigial tail of the Republican Party, along for the ride during Reagan's populist revolution. Uh, it was all very personalized. In fact, uh, so in in 84, which was obviously a massive landslide victory for Reagan, that's an interesting election, though, because not only did it have uh, not really much congressional coattails, like the the, the Democrats kept the House. George H.W. Bush was considered by the entirety of the press corps and the media, who really mattered then, to have had a terrible campaign, to have looked bad in comparison to Geraldine Ferraro and been the pencil-necked geek that everybody had always thought he was, uh, and him trying to sell Reaganism, which saw a massive recession in the first two terms of two two years of his term, which is the Volcker shock kicking in basically, uh, but without Reagan's great communicator uh, facade, uh, I think there's a real chance that election is much different.
3: That's interesting. Also, does he, do, does he do more traditional Republican economics, right? He's the voodoo economics guy. Does he stay within the New Deal order or is capital pushing him in such a direction where he has to fully embrace the neoliberal uh, revolution begun by Jimmy Carter? I think that's an open question.
2: Yeah, uh, and you've you got to figure he would have much less negotiating a hand vis-a-vis visa Congress than Reagan did. I also – if that happens first, for one thing, I don't think Mondale is the nominee – uh, honestly, you know what I think happens? Gary Hart gets the nomination uh, <laughs> as like uh, all all the hippies trying to think they're voting for McGovern or, or, or RFK. And then uh, he ends up uh, doing Reagan's or I'm sorry, doing Clinton's terms uh, a few years early. Early Hart, who was considered like the, the sort of anti-establishment insurgent grassroots guy, was also one of the premier neoliberals of the Democratic Party. He was the leader of the Atari Democrats who came in after Watergate uh, uh, based in the affluent professional suburbs who wanted to suffocate, uh, who wanted to completely sever the, the connection between organized labor and the Democratic Party and to emphasize like, regulatory competence uh, and, and uh, administrative ability over any kind of uh, class-based appeal. And uh, yeah, I could see Gary Hart getting in in 84 uh,
3: and just doing Clintonism early.
2: And also probably and this, giving arms to the Contras.
3: Well, that was my next thing. What does this mean for the deep state? Uh, because George H.W. Bush was able to play that thing like a symphony. So does the deep state become even more powerful? Do you get an earlier Iran-Contra? Do you, do you get Star Wars? Because that's not a traditional deep state thing. Right. That's kind of like a, a psychopathic populist well, move I mean, on behalf well, just, of Reagan. So maybe you get the continuation well, yeah. of the Cold War I mean, in what Star Wars ways. was,
2: was it was, a, it was a way to sell the underlying – policy which was military expansion like it was just a way to give money to the military sector like and and star wars was the way to get rubes on board with that uh i mean it didn't have to work not like just like all the other shit that the fucking pentagon makes so uh the question is like i don't think there's no way hart does star wars because it's antithetical to him aesthetically and to his voters aesthetically but uh i certainly don't think that there's any real move towards uh reducing the uh military outlay i i think you probably get a a uh you might get yeah like a a heart presidency with like an accelerated neoliberal timetable uh and maybe less military spending
3: so does that mean gorbachev could focus on internal soviet dynamics and the soviet union Mm. never collapses because he doesn't have to spend all of that money because that would be a whole different thing in eastern europe but
2: i mean you do have like growing uh like ethnic conflict at the periphery of the, of the USSR. Right. That's just happening. On that at level, it. Right, yeah. So maybe you have like a more violent protracted fall of the Soviet union. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Like a
3: civil war, like, like right. guerrilla warfare.
1: I think I, I'm not in this area, but I will say, I think it's a yeah. hit to the deep state because I like, George H.W. was so good at building that thing as being right. not the guy. Right. Mm-hmm. And hit the amount of energy he had to put into just acting normal yeah. in front of everyone <laughs> was so great <laughs> that it like, OK, this isn't totally because George H.W. was president and couldn't yeah, play the deep state like a like a symphony. But like, when did we find out about Gladio? Yeah. When he was president. Mm. Right. Would well, that has more to do with the like with the formal end of the Cold War but like also, do you think he, he lets that
0: happen? Right. If he's lurking in the shadows like always? Probably not. All right. So, let's go on and do one more cuz I know we got to lose we're going to lose Danny in a second. Uh, here's one that I think is is interesting to me, but uh, let me know if you think so. The financial crisis happens ah. 1 year later. That's so, after the 2008 election, it mm-hmm. happens in 2009. What if we get one more year before
3: the before the big breakdown happens. Does that mean Clinton wins in 2000? Who, who's president in this scenario? Yeah.
0: I mean, that's the question. Yeah. I, I, well, the thing is, I think Obama mm. won
2: the nomination because of Iraq. So I think Obama's the nominee no matter what. Uh, and so I think it's still Obama McCain. The result of that was going to so be Obama closer, wins. Certainly. I do think, though, that that that's very interesting
3: I think Obama I th- yeah. wins. I think Obama yeah. wins yeah. pretty much. It's
2: a I close agree. One, This is a good though. question. It's much closer yeah. than it ended up being.
3: It's more like
1: Trump Biden. Yeah. Then, yeah, uh, it's one of those.
3: Yeah, I think that's right, yeah. And so then I think he still does nothing. I mean, like, I still think that the same thing happens in terms of bailouts, maybe even a little a little bit less because they were able to cover the large initial bailout because Bush had initiated mm-hmm. the first one. So maybe that, that actually makes it more difficult to do as large as, of a bailout as Obama did uh, when he was in office. And, that's
2: and while you would have the partisan uh the partisan response to the crisis would be much different, obviously. Uh, And I think that that could make carrying out the full package of bailouts harder because there would be less incentive for Republicans to sign off the way that they did because it started under Bush and it really was this baton handed from the Bush administration to Obama. And everyone sort of understood certainly at the top levels that they were all on the same side on this, because of course this is deeper than bullshit politics. This is like the actual economy This is this is the thing that they're really there to serve, Uh, so I think you have probably a harder time getting it. You have a deeper, probably a deeper decline uh, because I think like you have even less of the. You have a smaller probably you have a smaller Democratic majority to work with. You have uh, a unified GOP to try to uh, minimize the degree to which the Democrats could effectively respond to the crisis. Uh, So I think you probably have a more prolonged like recession like it, contraction going longer taking longer for you know the fake recovery to start uh and probably like uh maybe trump becomes like the nominee in 2016 instead of in 2012 uh, or, i'm sorry in that's what i was thinking instead as, of 2016.
3: as well because you get the earlier populism you get a more radical less astroturf tea party but then do you also get an earlier bernie ah see that's you know, the if question, it's under obama this is the big question: yeah. Does he come? You have like an accelerated before twenty fifteen. It took
2: a while. It took a while for there to be any coherent, like left populist response to the crisis. Like Occupy doesn't happen until two years uh, after the crisis, the crash. Like it, it starts after the Tea Party does, uh, but
3: with a smaller bailout, all that might happen earlier. Right. Basically, like if, if you if you heighten the earlier. conditions, yeah, you're right, and that is more extreme. Yeah. And it's earlier. And I think you get a Bernie earlier. And I think you get a lot of the things we right. see now more radical. But the problem is, is that uh, if you earlier. have
2: Obama in there, then Bernie's challenge isn't going to go anywhere near as far as it did in 2016, because an incumbent president has just a smothering right. influence
1: uh, over its nomination process, certainly among the
2: Democrats way more than the
3: Republicans. And it's not against Clinton. So, yeah. But
1: maybe Bernie then runs again in 2016 yeah. after Trump wins. And they never the Democrats never they didn't quite build the build the thing they did where they're they're able to trick him into <laughs> <laughs> into hiring some of the people he did yeah. <laughs> into hiring the Warren barbershop guy like he did. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm serious. Like, I don't know. Yeah, well, it, because then the you get into it's... so many what ifs because for Fer- Fer- Ferguson is like that's when Democrat that's the first time Democrats like saw a black yeah. president and were like, that's ours no, no think We're going to use some of that. Don't worry, we're not going to do anything, but we're going to use it to like call Bernie races.
3: And also, again, <laughs> the smaller bailout leads to more radicalism everywhere. So that also opens up an entire entire new possibilities that would otherwise yeah ever shut off by the larger bailout that we actually got the genuinely bipartisan one.
2: Yeah. So this is basically the show. Yeah. It's, it's obviously j- silly and gibberish. Like we're talking about things that never happened. So we, we can only say so much, and none of it is really that uh, meaningful. But uh, it's one, fun. <laughs> uh, and two, I think in the course of having the conversations, you are exposed to like what really matters. You can kind of sift out the chaff from like the historical moment and, and find the real armature, the real structural stuff.
3: And I would just add to that, in professional history, counterfactual thinking is actually really critical because, as Matt said, it helps you identify what really matters and where. And I do think this could have a useful purpose in helping people think about our own moment. You know, where are the hinge points in our own histories? Where should we Focus our energies, you know, should we focus on force the vote or not? Should we uh, pay all of our attention to what's going on in Congress or not? Or what are the larger structural factors actually driving um history? And I, I hope, uh, and I think we did get at a lot of those issues,
0: yeah. Well, uh, I think this has been a very successful episode. Usually, yeah. when Will's not here, we spend about 40 minutes talking about uh, like fast food preferences or uh, what I was uh,
2: positive that this was the episode we were going to talk
0: about, like
2: if Elf was holly or something <laughs> uh
0: well, well we'll save that for the ne- next time uh this has been the uh this has been much more of a pbs news hour roundtable type vibe to it but i i appreciate that because it makes me look slightly uh, more confident we're here
2: with uh, afl cio director george Meany, and we're discussing collective bargaining <laughs> agreements
1: no th- this is this is mclaughlin group where the dominant religion is jewish instead of catholic <laughs> finally <laughs> the good mclaughlin
0: group <laughs>
2: The am group. Next year in
0: Jerusalem. <laughs> uh, well, Danny, thank you for so much for coming on. Uh, the show is Hinge Points. It will be available to all Patreon members uh, starting on Friday. And I believe we'll actually just make the first episode of it public-public, uh, and then the remaining ones will be on Patreon. I think we can tease now that uh, we're going to keep doing these miniseries. Uh, this is Sus will be returning yeah. shortly after as a Patreon miniseries. Uh, it is happening. I have the first... I have the recording of the first episode on my computer. It's coming. I think we're going to be doing something with Will, I think, about movie mindset. Uh, so, yeah, expect more of these in the new year. And one more announcement uh, coming up. We finally, finally, finally are going live with our Deep State line of merch. Tomorrow morning, Tuesday at 9 a.m., shop.chapotraphouse.com, fully restocked for the holidays. The Zapata oil hat. Uh, we have a wonderful uh, Fly um, Air America uh, to the Golden Triangle shirt from at Apocalizzi. Uh, we have a wonderful uh, Gladio uh, P2 Lodge uh, uh, company softball t-shirt uh, from John White there, plus some restocks of our classic gear. So Uh, Shows in Buffalo, New York, December 8th at Ashbury Hall, and Thursday, December 16th in Brooklyn at Warsaw. I will have those ticket links up somewhere, probably, hopefully in the show notes Finally, finally, and I promise this is the very last thing, we have a brief plug from our good friend Josh Olson of the Movies That Made Me podcast, and of course the West Wing thing with Dave Anthony. Uh, He writes us that he is doing a... Fundraiser for the Hollywood Food Coalition, which he writes, it's a great group. For over 30 years, they've been serving hot meals to LA's unhoused and food insecure population. They're a nonprofit, and everyone volunteers, so contributions and donations go directly out the door to people who need it most. They currently serve between 250 and 300 people per day. So what Josh is doing is a fundraiser for them with the movies that made me to tie into our Halloween or their Halloween parade episodes. Uh, They're doing what they call the Mandy Challenge. If they can raise $2,500 by November 5th, uh, Josh's lovely wife, Nancy, will finally summon the courage to watch Mandy, and the viewing will be documented. Mandy, great movie. Uh, very upsetting though. Uh, if people want to help, they can go to HTTPS colon slash slash dot org. Click donate. And in the notes section, write Mandy challenge. Uh, I will put that link in the show notes as well. Again, uh, that is for Josh Olson for the Hollywood food coalition. All right. That's our last plug for the episode. Lots of plugs this time. For space watchers, this is a big episode. Everybody who's been watching this space, <laughs> it all posted today. <laughs> uh, so, uh, thanks, guys. And uh, I'll talk to you bye guys bye. soon. Bye. 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 I desire-